Chapter 33. The Serbians. Congratulations and well wishes followed us through the Croatian side of the border, but could not quell my trepidation in entering Serbian territory. The first thing I noticed about the Serbian guard was just how physically large he was. His body, his head, face and hands all seemed gigantic to me. He peered down at us, his face expressionless. We handed him our passports. What are you doing here? He asked politely in English, leafing through my passport. I turned to show him the sign on my backpack, knowing that the Serbo-Croatian languages were almost identical. The guard asked many questions about where specifically we had walked and listened intently to our responses. He was courteous in his treatment, and although showed no emotion, I did not feel threatened or unwelcome. With a stamp dated April 11th, 2002, we entered the country of Serbia and Montenegro, about to experience for ourselves whether all that we had heard was indeed true. Our destination was Herzegnovi, a short 15-kilometer walk from the border. We didn't know where we'd be sleeping, but were assured that a large Croatian community lived there. Fra Ante called that day, as he regularly did, to check in on us. When he learned of our destination, he told us that he had a priest friend there and would call to notify him of our imminent arrival. I wondered if his influence extended all the way to Jerusalem. I was now certain that if I told him I was walking to China, Fra Ante would tell me about a friend that he had there too. As we settled in for the evening, my phone rang. I answered, expecting Fra Ante, and was surprised to hear Hannah's voice. We had not spoken in over a month, nor had she called Alberto. After we caught up on our lives, it was only natural that we speak about him. He sent me an email from Dubrovnik, she said, saying that he was worried about me and wanting to know if I wanted to end our relationship. There's still a lot of caring between us, but I don't feel the same love and passion that I did when we were together. I don't know if I can ever feel them again, but even if I could, I could never live with the risk of him leaving again. Alberto had been out of the room, and when he returned, I mouthed that it was Hannah. He asked if she wanted to speak with him, to which she replied a sad yes. We said our goodbyes and I handed Alberto the phone. Alone, I busied myself with washing and hanging my clothes. I checked my underarms for the first time in a long while and was pleased to see that there was no swelling or tenderness anywhere. As I prepared for bed, Alberto returned. Things are not well between us, he said, handing me the phone. They haven't been for a long time, really, since before Valentine's Day. We're talking more seriously about separating, but neither wants to take the first step. I care for her so deeply, but my feelings have changed, and so have hers. It's not just about me going back to her, it's her expectations of me and the guarantee that she demands that I will never leave her to do something like this again. I can't promise her that. I need to feel free to continue my spiritual journey inside the relationship. I need to keep growing. I never really understood that before, I replied. I thought freedom meant giving the other person time to pursue their interests. But I see now that it includes supporting them in their personal quest, 
even when it sometimes means having to separate. Now that I have my freedom and I'm pursuing that path, I can't imagine giving it up just to be in a relationship. Exactly, Alberto responded, distractedly arranging his clothes on the heater before lying down in his bed and turning off the lights. It's over, he whispered. The Serbian coastline was just as magnificent and mountainous as the Croatian. In the towns of Risan and Kotor, we were guests of the Croatian communities living there. Our contact with the Serbian population was thus far confined to the road. The occasional car honked and some people waved in support, but in general, we were left alone. We now moved towards Budva, along a road that was fast and dangerous. Our map indicated a path parallel to the highway, but it snaked off in unusual ways. Soon, we lost the main road and found ourselves wandering along a deserted path that continued forking in various directions. As we re-examined our map, a car drove past and stopped ahead. The driver, a middle-aged man with graying hair, approached and, speaking in English, introduced himself as Zelko. He said he recognized us from the Croatian television programs and had driven the main road several times these last few days hoping to find us. What's strange, he added, is that I never take this road, but for some reason today, I did. Quiet strength emanated from him, and I sensed a man of deep integrity and conviction. We agreed that our meeting was no coincidence and accepted his invitation to meet his family. He assured us that his home was easy to find and showed it to us on the map, assuring us that the quiet country road was ideal for walking. The route he indicated was indeed scenic, but he failed to mention the steep mountains. The path snaked through lovely villages that peeked out from the surrounding lush forest. Shepherds greeted us, their curiosity leading them to attempt communication. We simply said, Zelko, and they nodded in recognition before shepherding us like their sheep in his general direction. The forest canopies were a welcome haven from the blistering sun, but our legs were shaking by the time we arrived to Zelko's home. Zelko's family had gathered in the dining room and affectionately welcomed us. He proudly introduced us to his wife and young daughters and then to his parents and other relatives. Homemade cakes and cookies were brought out and served with ice-cold drinks and water. The girls, who looked to be around eight and twelve, sat on their father's lap and occasionally cast a shy glance in our direction. He spoke softly with them, obviously referring to us because their eyes kept darting over. We waved, but they quickly buried their heads in their smiling father's neck. It was easy to see how much they loved him and just how much he adored them. I felt genuinely welcomed by this close-knit and gracious family. I am Serbian, Zelko declared. I am proud of my country and its people. I know what the media says about us and the atrocities that have been committed in Croatia. Croatians have also committed their share here, but that is not why I wish to speak with you. I want you to know that those barbarians do not represent the heart of the Serbian people. We are not the cold-blooded monsters that we are portrayed to be. Many years ago, I was a sailor, 
I've been all over the world, including Jerusalem. One time, we were docked at a port in the southern United States, and I had the chance to meet some American sailors. When I told them I was Serbian, one of them told me that he had heard we were savages and that we massacred and ate children. I thought he was joking and was horrified to see that he wasn't. I can't tell you how outraged and impotent I felt. His comments have haunted me to this day. I still cannot understand how he could think such things of us. This dignified man paused and looked at us earnestly. I am now a father, and I don't want my daughters growing up in a world that believes these terrible untruths. I want you to know that we are a peaceful people. We have the same dreams and aspirations for ourselves and our children as everyone else. We want to live in peace. My lasting image of this unforgettable encounter was of Zelko standing on the terrace, a smile of contentment on his face, balancing a girl in each arm, and the girls waving at us. I renewed my promise to myself that day to never again be drawn into the fears and opinions of those I meet, and above all else, to trust in the human heart, for its hopes and dreams transcend borders and nationalities. I couldn't imagine how quickly I would forget that promise.